Good morning, and welcome to Upward Vision. We're glad you've chosen to join us this morning. Upward Vision is a ministry of Sherwood Oaks Christian Church with locations in Bloomington and Bedford, Indiana. Now for today's message. So I'm going to say this for him because he won't say it himself. Uh, Quentin Bemis wrote that song for our church during this particular season of our church's history. Isn't that cool? Man, I love that. Thank you, Quentin, for doing that. It's great. I'm telling you, man, you need to write songs every week because these things are rocking. That's such a, such a great message. So if I were to ask you what you think of when you hear the word church, what would you say? People, there we go. All right. Hey, it wasn't crowd participation, but I appreciate you doing that. That was fun. Uh, hey, let's go ahead and do it some more. What are, what are some of the other things that you think about when you hear the word church? Family, Family unity, love. Hey, thank you. That's from my daughter right there. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Man, so many things that we think of when, when, we, when we think of the church. I think, you know, a lot of people traditionally think about the building. And, and just even what I love about the answers that were just thrown out right now, was like, that's not at all what we think about because Sherwood Oaks as a church is so much more than just the building. And I think we especially found that out like during COVID season. Um, and I know it was hard and, and many of us were still kind of going through it. Uh, and, and, but we found like, man, we could gather up for online worship in our home. Some of you are even doing that right now in our pajamas, eating breakfast, and we are the church in that moment. And then we go out and we live our faith. Like that is the church. And, and, and <laughs> one of my friends, um, Alan Burris, who's our director of spiritual formation, <laughs> made me think about this when, when we you know, were online predominantly. Um, he sent me this meme uh, Forrest Gump saying, and just like that, we were all televangelists. <laughs> that definitely describes uh, that COVID season in the life of the church. So a lot of people, when they think of church, they do think of a location. They think about a time of the week. Uh, they, they think that it's the longest hour of their week. Like just let's get this over with so we can go and, and eat lunch. Uh, some people would describe the, the church as kind of a social club, uh, a place where you can serve and you can feel like you, you belong. I, I know people, and my, my guess is that you probably know people as well, um, who maybe have a more cynical view of what the church is. Uh, I have a friend who is not a follower of Jesus, and he, <laughs> he's told me before that he just thinks of the church as a crutch for people who are emotionally weak. I think, man, it's so much more. Like, that's not, that doesn't hit what the church is at all. But in his mind, he just thinks that it's for people who need something to help them get through life. There are people who see the church as irrelevant, uh, see it just kind of as some, some nonsense, outdated. They think about rules and rituals. When they think about church, they think of power-hungry preachers and unfriendly parishioners. And unfortunately, many of them have plenty of stories to draw from to kind of prove their, their point. And as our society becomes more and more post-Christian and secular, I think for a lot of people, when they think about church, what comes to mind is, I don't really wanna be a part of something like that. And the irony is that it was the exact opposite with Jesus. It was the exact opposite with those early followers of, of Jesus as they would gather up. 
what we read and what we find in the Gospels and, and even in a little bit of the book of Acts is that it was the religious people who killed Jesus and tried to stop the movement of his people. But it was the, the non-religious people, those that um, others looked down upon, pushed aside, labeled as sinners. It was the non-religious people that didn't have everything together that were most drawn to Jesus. They were most drawn to this community of his followers. And as they began to follow Jesus themselves, as they began to turn from their old way of living, they were embraced not only into the kingdom of God, but they were embraced by this community of believers as they were becoming more like Jesus together. We get a glimpse of this, the, the, the early church and, and the beautiful way in which it formed in Acts chapter two. Uh, so if you have a Bible or a Bible app that you like to use, I invite you to turn there with me. Acts chapter two, we're gonna be looking at the last few verses uh, starting in, in verse 42. We're in the third week of our series called Radical, where we're kind of taking this deep dive into the book of Acts. We're gonna be studying it through the end of November uh, just to see all the different ways that Jesus makes a radical difference in the lives of those who follow him, makes a radical difference in the communities that are rallying around him, and then also makes a difference in the world in which we live. And and just by way of recap, uh, the author of Acts is a guy named Luke, Um, He has a friend named Theophilus who has heard about this movement of the Christian faith and is very intrigued and wants to learn more. And so he reaches out to Luke, who is a physician and an historian. He also uh, was part of kind of the early development of the church. He reaches out to Luke and he asks him to write down what he knows and what he has found about Jesus and about the church. And so Luke sends back to Theophilus two different letters. The first one we know as the gospel of Luke. And the gospel of Luke is the story of Jesus revealing God to us. It's the story of Jesus revealing God to us. We read in in Corinthians, uh, Colossians, um, that that Jesus is the exact representation of God, the, the exact representation of his being, that when we see Jesus and how he lived and how he acted and how he loved, that we're actually seeing the nature and the character of God. And so Luke, the gospel, is about Jesus revealing God to us. And then his follow-up letter to Theophilus is the book of Acts. And Acts is the story of the church led and empowered by the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus to the world. And so in week one, we saw Jesus sending his disciples out to proclaim the message of God's love and grace that was available to all people. It did not matter what their uh, religious background was, where they had been, what they had done, what their race was, their ethnicity, uh, that, that all were now welcomed, all were invited into God's kingdom. And that's the radical message that they were sent out with. And then last week in week two, we saw um, kind of the first fulfillment of that message of Acts 1-8, where Jesus said, go and be my witnesses in the world. In Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes on the disciples. They begin to speak in other languages uh, to the point where, where people who are listening understand the gospel in their own native language, in their, in their heart language. And, and so Peter preaches the first gospel message about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And, and it says that they are cut to the heart and they ask Peter, what must we do to be saved? And Peter says in Acts 2, 38, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sin and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
And then we kind of catch a recap of what happened at the end of this in verse 41. It says, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And in between verses 41 and 42, the church is born. The, the, the gathering up of, of these first followers of Jesus, as Quentin likes to say, the gathering up of these believers happens. And Acts 2, 42 through 47 paints the picture of what this new, absolutely radical community begins to look like. Look at it with me. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This incredible passage, it talks about the birth of this, this young Christian community and how they experienced God in ways that none of them had ever experienced it before. They were witnessing the Spirit's power revealed through the signs and the wonders that the apostles were performing. They shared their possessions with anyone who had need. They worshiped together and they ate in their homes. And I love that, that phrase, with glad and sincere hearts. There was a genuine unity and love that they had for one another. And this new radical community experienced the favor of all people, people, whether they were believers or non-believers, and they were marked by the unity and the joy and the warmth of the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you, I believe that, that this passage is in here not just to tell us something that happened nearly 2,000 years ago. I believe that the Holy Spirit is inviting us into this same story today. The story of the early church can be our story when we devote ourselves to Jesus and to one another and we allow the power of the Holy Spirit to transform us. See, Acts chapter two, verse 42 through 47 is not a prescription for how to do church. I think it's a description of what happens when a group of people are devoted to Jesus and to one another. And so how do we do that? I think the first thing is, it starts with this radical devotion to Jesus. A radical devotion to Jesus above all else. Everything that these early believers did, I mean, everything, it pointed back to Jesus, which is really the purpose of the church. We are to shine the light on Jesus, to make him known, to make him famous in our communities and in our world. I, I like how Eugene Peterson puts it in his memoir, The Pastor. Um, he writes, the church is a reliving and a retelling of the life of Jesus. It's a reliving and a retelling of the life of Jesus. And that's what these early believers did. They relived the life of Jesus by devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were learning from those who watched Jesus love and live how to love and live like him. And as they did, they began to relive the story of Jesus. 
And so when it says that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, it doesn't mean that they just like sat around in Bible studies and, and gained a whole lot of information in their heads about who Jesus was and what he did. Being devoted to their teaching means that they allowed that teaching to move from their head into their heart and it transformed the way that they began to live. They started to look more and more like Jesus and less and less like who they were before Jesus. That's the type of devotion that they had to the apostles' teaching. There was a life transformation that was happening because of it. They also retold the story of Jesus. And they retold it in a couple of different ways. Uh, we, we see that they retold it through the breaking of bread, which um, in this context and some of the articles in Greek that come alongside of this, it's, a, it's an indication and an allusion to communion. That, that time in the service that we just shared in uh, just, just moments ago. And, and communion probably looked a little bit differently than how we do it today. But, but, but in sharing that meal with one another, they were retelling the story of Jesus. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that whenever we share in communion together, we are retelling the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so they were retelling that together as they shared in communion with one another. They also retold the story of Jesus through their worship. You know, they, they formally gathered at the temple for worship, but then we also see that they had informal celebrations that happened in the marketplace and in the home. They had these informal celebrations that I think that we continue to have even today, right? Like we have the formal worship gatherings that happen here in this place, but we also have informal celebrations that happen all through the week. We have informal celebrations that happen in homes, in restaurants and, and, and coffee shops, informal celebrations that happen all throughout our community. This past week, uh, I went uh, out for a run on the Clear Creek Trail. And, and right as I was getting ready to get started, I ran into uh, a few ladies from our church. And so we sat there and we just got to talking a little bit. And before long, man, we just started praising God for um, all the ways that we see him moving in our lives and in, in our church. And like, we just kept sharing stories. And, and I remember um, thinking like here, right here at the Clear Creek Trail parking lot, right off of church lane, a church service broke out. <laughs> And it wasn't that we like brought out the guitar and we started singing together. It wasn't like I said, hey, everyone just have a seat here on this bench. I've got a little lesson that I've prepared for you. It wasn't that kind of church service. It was a praise and worship service of all the amazing things that God is doing in our lives and in our church. There was a celebration that broke out right there at the, the trailhead for Clear Creek Trail. And, and the story of the early church it becomes our story when we are radically devoted to Jesus and we are radically devoted to reliving and retelling his story and his life. But it also happens through a radical devotion to one another. It's a radical devotion to Jesus, but it's also a radical devotion to one another. You know, this, this passage, it, it kind of paints... Um, this utopian image of what the church was like in its early stages. Um, one commentary I, I read said that this is like the age of innocence in the life of the church. Like they didn't know any better to this point. And so they were just trying to figure it out. And there was all this excitement about something that was new and fresh. And, and, and we see it doesn't last you know, as long as they probably hoped that it would. Uh, dysfunction enters into it, and we'll, we'll get to that in, in the coming weeks. 
But during this time, it's just this beautiful age of innocence of the church coming together. And, and there's one passage that, that I really kind of struggle with. It's verse 44, look at it with me. It says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Now, I'll tell you, I read that passage and I go, really? Like everything in common? You know, I love my wife and I am wholly devoted to her, but I don't think either one of us would say that we have everything in common. In fact, there's most days where we just hope to have like a few things in common. <laughs> and so what does Luke mean here when he says that, that all of them were together and they had everything in common? Well, I think that part of it means that, that they held their, their possessions with open hands, that they had a commonality in taking care and loving one another, providing for each other's needs, and we got to experience that through the Acts 245 fund over the last six months. And we're gonna take, actually, we're setting aside the entirety of next week's service to celebrate all the cool things that God has done through your generosity to the Acts 245 fund. So I think that in part, I think that in part, it means that they were together and had those things in common. But I think it also means that they had the most important thing in common. They were devoted to Jesus to his mission, and to one another. And everything else, all of their other differences paled in comparison to those things. Together, they were devoted to Jesus and were on mission to tell others about him. They held that up as the most important thing to the point that their differences, and they had differences, but their differences no longer mattered because of the unity of the Holy Spirit. And that type of unity around Jesus and the mission of the church ushered in this radical new community that was defined by sacrificial devotion to one another. They shared life. They shared their possessions with anyone who was in need. They shared homes and, and meals with one another. And the story of the early church becomes our story when we are radically devoted to Jesus and one another in this same way. When we hold Jesus up as the most important thing, more important than our preferences, more important than our likes and our dislikes, even more important than our traditions. We hold Jesus as the most important thing. And we lovingly and graciously work through our differences together. And listen, there's going to be differences. There's gonna be differences of opinions. I mean, I, I can be in a room by myself and like hold a different opinion with the people that are in that room. <laughs> We're going to have differences of opinions. We're gonna have differences in traditions and thoughts and likes and dislikes. But here's what's most important. I think here's what the, the early church teaches us is that if we hold Jesus as the most important thing, as we withhold and protect the unity of the church that the Holy Spirit is ushering in, then there is not a disagreement. There is not an issue that we cannot lovingly and graciously work through together for the sake of Christ, for the cause of the gospel, and for more people to know and love and follow Jesus. So a couple of questions as we close this morning. And question number one is how, how can we enter into this type of radical community? See, I think the temptation for all of us, um, myself included, is, is to live um, a radically individualistic life <laughs> rather than a radical communal life, a radical life of community. 
to, to try to do this on our own. But the Bible teaches us that the entire Christian life, everything from, from spiritual development to, uh, to, to overcoming temptation and sin to, to serving out in the community, the entirety of the Christian life is to be done in the context of community. We see that all throughout the pages of the New Testament. And if the last several months have taught us anything, it's that we are communal beings, right? Like we are hungry for community. We cannot do life on our own. We need one another. And the truth is, is that you cannot find fulfillment in the Christian life if you try to just do it on your own. You cannot find fulfillment in the Christian life apart from a thriving community of people who are walking through it with you. It's so much more rich and meaningful when you have that group. It's why we offer life groups here at Sherwood Oaks. We have found that being devoted to Jesus and one another happens best in the context of a life group. And for, for many of us, joining a life group seems like such a, a difficult next step to take. It almost seems not so much like a step, but like a leap. And we're not sure if we want to do it. We're not sure if we're ready to make that type of commitment. We're not sure if we're ready to be that vulnerable and open with other people. But I'm telling you, it might just be the best decision that you ever make. Let's check out this video. because I think it just addresses head on a lot of the objections that many of us have that I've had about joining a life group. But if you're interested in taking that step, getting plugged into a community like what we see in Acts chapter two, uh, we have an event right after this service called Group Link. It's out behind the fellowship hall. And we'd love to help you find that group of people that you can share life with. And you may not be looking for a life group or you might be a little anxious or hesitant to join one, but I'll tell you uh, what a friend told me this week. He said, mood follows movement and motion changes emotion. Man, that's so true, isn't it? I mean, think about how many times uh, you've been sitting there and, 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 and you, you know that you need to go and do something, but you don't really want to, but you work up the energy and you take that step and you do it and you get to the other side of it and you're thinking, man, I'm so glad that I did that. That mood follows movement, motion changes emotion. And a lot of times our attitude about something changes as we begin to move towards it. And so I challenge you this morning to take that first step, 
even if it's hard, maybe even especially if it's hard, to join a life group. It's by far the best way to share in this radical communion, uh, community today. The second thing as we, as we close this morning is how do we know if we are a part of a community like the one that we see in Acts chapter two? I, I think that there are some clues that we see in the verses that we read. I mean, there, there was, you know, people were awed by the presence and power of God that, that showed up. There was a diverse community of people that was united uh, by a common devotion to Jesus. People were finding salvation in Jesus. Ordinary men and women were doing extraordinary things because of the spirit of God living and working and moving in them and through them. But how do we know if we are a part of a radical community like the one that we see in the book of Acts? I wanna close with just a few questions for us to ponder this morning. Question number one is this. Are we a part of a movement or a meeting? Are we a part of something that God is doing that's bigger than ourselves or do we just meet once a week, sing some songs, listen to a sermon, walk out the doors, completely unaffected, unchanged by anything that just took place in in here? Are we a part of a movement or are we just a part of a meeting? Question number two is, are we making a difference by serving others or are we simply putting on a service? If Jesus made a tangible difference in the lives of of others and, and we are his followers, then shouldn't we also make a radical difference in our community as we serve others? In other words, are we striving to be the best church in our community or are we striving to be the best church for our community? There's a big difference between those two things. We found out this last week that Sherwood Oaks was awarded the best place in town to worship. We didn't even know that award existed until we got an email that we had won it. And that's great. And I'm, and I'm so glad I mean, that, that people find that this is a place where they can worship God and connect with him and grow in their relationship with him. But I tell you, what I'm more concerned about is if Sherwood Oaks disappeared tomorrow, would anyone in our community who is not a follower of Jesus notice? Would anyone care? Would it leave a hole in our community? Or would people just celebrate that this large property on the east side of town is now available and we can get more tax dollars from it? (laughs) Would people notice if Sherwood Oaks disappeared tomorrow? And finally, are we on mission? Or are we just going through the motions? And I don't know about you, but I wanna be a part of a church that is on mission for Jesus. I wanna be a part of a church filled with people whose desire is to not just go to church, but to be the church. I wanna be a part of a church that gathers together around our common identity and purpose found in Jesus and then scatters out into our community to be his hands and his feet. I wanna be a part of a church that is participating in God's rescue mission in this world to go out and to seek and to save the lost, to let them know that there is forgiveness and healing found from the brokenness in their sin. I wanna be a part of a church that gathers up to worship Jesus so that we can scatter out to show his love to others and invite them to become a part of this radical new community with us. 
And my prayer is that you, you want to be a part of a church like that too. Why don't you stand with me as I close this off with prayer. God, thank you for the invitation to be a part of this radical new community ushered in by your Holy Spirit and made possible through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that we will be wholly devoted to Jesus and to one another, that we will be the fulfillment of Jesus' prayer for unity in John chapter 17 as we work together to, to work through our differences, to, to maintain and keep what is most important, most important, and to go out on mission to serve and to reach this world and invite them to become a part of this radical community that you are shaping here at Sherwood Oaks. Father, thank you for the gift that it is to do life with others. That as a, as a, a God of community, you invite us into community with you and with one another. And I pray, Lord, that today someone will take that step and enter into life-changing relationships with others. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. This has been Upward Vision, a ministry of Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. With locations on the east and west sides of Bloomington and in Bedford, Sherwood Oaks has a worship service to meet your needs. To receive a free copy of today's message or for more information about any of our locations and service times, go to socc.org messages. Thanks for joining us. Continue to look to God this week as you maintain the upward vision.